When it comes to discussing our bodies, we often get a little uncomfortable. Women's health issues are often seen as off-limits, taboo topics we just don't talk about. It's time for that to change. Let's talk. Welcome to the Brave Mama podcast, where we are going to do exactly that. Discuss everything from periods to pregnancy, motherhood to menopause. No topic is off-limits. Join Stephanie Thompson, the brave mama and author of The Day My Vagina Broke, as she asks other brave women about their personal health challenges and triumphs. You will learn, laugh and cry as Stephanie finds out everything you wanted to know but were too afraid or embarrassed to ask. So, grab a cuppa and enjoy. Hi and welcome back to the show. It's really nice to have you here. Today is the 1st of June which signifies quite a few things. Most important, it's the start of Pelvic Organ Prolapse Awareness Month. For the full month of June, you are going to hear us talking about things that are happening in this pelvic health space, amazing things to look forward to. And we really need to be thankful to one woman, one standalone woman who decided that her experience with prolapse herself and navigating this space feeling really alone just wasn't good enough. Our friend Sherry Palm from the US decided that she was going to take a resolution to a congresswoman in Wisconsin and they introduced and confirmed a joint resolution, 71, in 2014 that proclaimed June as Pelvic Organ Prolapse Awareness Month. I mean, that's next level, isn't it? We talk about it here on the podcast. We've got lots of women in this space who have blogs and YouTube channels and things to help women. But Sherry Palm seriously (laughs) decides to take it to the government to have it signified in a global state. Because now everywhere around I'm seeing in the UK are talking about POP Awareness Month. Obviously, we're talking about it here in Australia. So it's not just something that was a local thing in Wisconsin. It's now gone global. Thank you, Sherry, for all the work that you have done, volunteering your time over and over for years and years and years, day after day. We thank you for all your hard work. We are also introducing a guest from the States called Kim. But you might know her as the Vagina Coach because that's the name that really resonates with a lot of us, especially in the social media space. Kim is a coach that really works with women to prevent and overcome incontinence and pelvic organ prolapse. So we invited Kim on the show because having someone like the Vagina Coach come on and share her knowledge, her wisdom that she has gathered over 20 years worth of experience. So not only doing her own professional learning, but working with women, a whole range of women who have different types of prolapse and incontinence and helping them get to a better place holistically. She's going to share some of that on the show today. And we hope by the end of this episode, you have decided that, yep, it's not okay to feel like this anymore. And yep, I'm ready to start talking to someone about it. And yes, I am ready to start getting some help living with prolapse. Just before we get into this chat with Kim, this is a perfect time to talk about Modibody because it is our go-to brand for all of Life Leaks. They've got a full range of apparel products that are great for things like periods, 
postpartum bleeding, leaky boobs, as well as reusable nappies, and Modibody is designed to help us for all of our stages through life. Their latest collection is probably what I'm most excited about. To join the family is the Ultra Collection, which holds up to 250 mils of liquid. So yes, there's no pad, no disposable, and no nappies. Are they smelly? No. Are they comfy? Yes, I've been using Modibody for my bladder leaks and my period for years, and I've saved hundreds, maybe even thousands of disposable products from ending up in landfill. Did you know that some of those plastic products take up to 500 years to break down? So support your leaks and help save the world with Modibody. Most importantly, you can use the code BRAVEMAMA22 for 15% off your first order. It's going to exclude sale items, bundles, gift cards, and Maxi 24. It expires on the 31st of December, 2022. All right, so let's get into this amazing episode with Kim, the Vagina Coach. Kim, this is such an honor to be able to finally chat with you face-to-face for those that are watching on YouTube, but even just to be able to talk to you. So welcome. Yeah, thank you. The honor is mutual. It's, uh, as you say, we've been following each other for a long time. So it's lovely to connect actually sort of in real life. (laughs) Isn't it? We are going to find out a little bit about your profession. Obviously I know, but our listeners don't. Before we do that, do you mind just sharing with us a little bit about your journey before where you are now? Yeah. Really, I always say it started way back in sixth grade where I saw a childbirth video as part of our sexual wellness at school. And and I just thought, I'm not interested in that. But I went home and I, I said, you know, I was asking my mom about, you know, she gave birth, my grandmother, my aunts. And I, I said, you know, well, they're all carrying on. But then as I as I got older, I was also watching my mom do less. So she stopped going for her runs. And when I asked her why it was because she would leak urine. And so she didn't want to do that anymore. Then she eventually had surgery. I asked her about her birth. She had episiotomies. I asked her what that was. It was cutting. And it was just like all these, all these images and and what my mom had gone through were sort of painting a picture of something that I really didn't want to participate in. (laughs) But um, then when I got older, met my husband, decided I wanted to start a family. I was really determined to have a different story than my mom. And my sister-in-law had given birth a year before me and she had used midwives. And that was sort of my first introduction to midwifery. So that, you know, the introduction to midwives, my mom's story, me being curious and wanting to know more and, and do whatever I could sort of set the path at the time it was not anywhere near it was not even on the radar at all about it being a business I just thought I'm doing this for myself absolutely and after I gave birth and I had a great experience um actually sorry one step I missed my midwives had recommended a biofeedback device to me called the epino okay and the epino is a biofeedback device for the pelvic floor and so I purchased one had a great experience I credit my midwives I was in a sideline birth position I, I think those helped along with the epino yes And so then after I gave birth, I thought, you know, I had a really positive experience and many of my friends didn't. And I looked at this product and said, this played a role and contacted the company and said, I'd like to be a distributor because I think more people should know about this. That was sort of started out as a little bit of a side gig. Yep. And that is what eventually turned into a business. Initially, I started working with pregnant women, obviously, to try to talk about pelvic health with in a, in a time of life when we have such a, a missed opportunity, in my opinion, to educate about pelvic health. Yes. And then 
I started to see postpartum recovery is also being overlooked. So I formed a second business called Belly Zinc with two other women and was growing both businesses for a while. Belly Zinc eventually uh, sold in June of 2020 and the vagina coach piece came initially my brand was fitness doula because I was a personal trainer and I was combining that with my training as a doula with pregnant women. And I had been a trainer for a number of years and then I got out of it and I was working in the corporate world for a while. And then I recertified all my fitness when I started to sell this, this Epino product. And, and Kim, then, just for those that may not know what an Epino is, because in Australia, yeah. I only had one friend who knew what it was. Yep. Just to confirm, is it the one where you insert into your vagina to try and help stretch or get some movement in the vagina? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a silicone balloon that is inserted into the vagina and it, it's attached to what looks like a blood pressure gauge. Yes. And you, you add a bit of air to the balloon and that gives you something to contract and relax against. And then you can see on the gauge when you're contracting and relaxing your muscles. And in the last few weeks of pregnancy, just before you give birth, you also leave the balloon inserted and you, you want to inflate the balloon a little bit more each day. And what that does is it, it kind of takes the role of perineal massage, but it introduces stretch and pressure and discomfort. It, it can go all the way up to the average size of a baby's head, although you don't need to get that big, but it's wow. trying to mimic what you will experience in childbirth so that your pelvic floor knows how to respond appropriately. So then so I was fitness doula for a long time. And then as I was starting to now move into perimenopause and get closer to menopause, fitness doula wasn't resonating with that population. And especially those people who had never given birth before. So I knew I needed some sort of a change. And then I, I was speaking at a conference, I think it's about five or so years ago now. And it was a group of women entrepreneurs and all the speakers were some sort of a business coach. And mm-hmm. when I came on stage, I joked that they now had a, a vagina coach for their business. And that was the light bulb where I was like, that's it. Cause pelvic health spans through our entire life. It's not just pregnancy. It's not just postpartum. It's, it's the whole, the whole gamut and vagina is a word that no one likes to say, but we have to normalize it because it's just a part of the body. So that's how it all happened. My God, I love that you just said that because there's so <laughs> many articles that have been written over time. You know, vagina is not a dirty word, but yet we still like, stumble on it a little bit until you are desensitized. I mean, I'm sure you've said it plenty of times in your realm. And I think, you know, from the last, I don't know, three or four years, our house now says it, which before we didn't, we had those cutesy nicknames because it was embarrassing, but yet your son's anatomy, it's always been penis. That's it. It, It's never had to have a funny name. So it's a, it's a funny space, isn't it? That we all get a little bit Oh, but is it okay to say girl's vagina or vulva even for goodness yeah. sake? Yeah. <laughs> and also that, that vulva, cause a lot of people don't know the difference between a vulva and a vagina, right? It's just lack of information. It's just never been, it's never been taught and we've never been really given opportunities to be educated and to ask questions and without having to whisper the word, yeah. you know? <laughs> Whisper vagina. <laughs> so yeah. So back in the day in that sixth grade, when you were watching that pregnancy video, did they actually label any anatomy for women or men? Like I don't remember. I can't hundred percent remember. I, but my recollection is, is just me watching this. I don't remember any of the actual education that went around it. I taught child protection education actually for a little while in my past life. And we had to label body parts for children as young as six. Yep. So they were taught to label penis, scrotum, anus, vagina, breasts, full stop. 
nothing else. So the, the male part was fully identified, including their anus, but the female, just vagina. You look Which back, is not even the part that we see, right? <laughs> correct. Which is why I will admit, I think I have a couple of times, is that only through research and after childbirth did I really know that there was a difference between both and that you have labia and, the, and actually knowing my anatomy because I was curious. It's never been taught to us but it also hasn't been acceptable to self-educate about this stuff because yeah. you're like yeah. a bit of a, you're a bit of a weirdo if yes. you wanted yeah. to do that. And it's just bizarre. Do you feel, Kim, that there's a bit of an inertia that of change coming for our girls? A thousand percent. Yes. And okay. actually just today I was speaking with a, a new startup out of Israel actually, and they've created a new product that is designed to help with pain and dryness and vaginal atrophy through their research. They've had about 500 customers so far and through the research of getting to know their ideal avatar, they thought their most popular customers would be perimenopausal and menopausal women, also post-operatively and especially cancer survivors. Okay, right. And what they found uh, was the biggest chunk, 60% of that 500 is actually women in their thirties. And what I think is so amazing about that, and I actually wasn't that surprised is because mm -hmm those people have grown up with technology, with social media. And yeah. there's, because there's been a lot more that's being shared over the last number of years, it's, that has become part of their education. There's a lot more sexual wellness companies and, and products and, and all that. So they're a lot more open and they are a lot more knowledgeable. And they are also, they know that that's not something I need to accept as normal. And I want to know what I can do to, to make sure that I can keep my pelvic floor healthy and my sexual health active for life. So I think that yeah. that is awesome. And it's a sign of change and, and it makes, it makes me ha so happy because when I first started, you know, my, my first son is almost 18 years old. So I've been talking about this for a long time. Yeah. It's just in the last like five, five ish years where it's really exploded. And then another friend of mine is in the menopause space and her daughter is 18. And when she asked her daughter, you know, are about, cause her daughter actually works for her and her company now. And, and okay. she's like, she knows all the language. She knows all this. She feels very, she's not afraid of menopause. She's, you know, she's, she knows all the questions. She knows what to prepare for. She knows how to be proactive. That is my, that's my overriding mission is to make sure that the next generations have all that they need so they can make informed choices throughout their life. hundred percent. It's like, you've just got the key and you've unlocked yes. this Pandora's yes. box of secret women's business. No more. Yes. And yes. that is exactly. so inspiring to hear that from girls who are 20, because Everything we do at Brave Mama is to ensure that my six-year-old girl doesn't mm -hmm. have to go through similar things that I did, but that's a really huge task to take on, just one mm -hmm. little mum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I love having conversations with people like you and hearing stories of these 20-year-old girls that are like, nope, that's not okay. That is not acceptable. And I'm not sure if you've seen it, it's kind of been floating our social circles in the last week about the amount of funding that's put into female medical mm -hmm. research, mm -hmm. less than 1%. Yep. Less than 1%. Yep. Crazy. What? Crazy. I know. It's crazy. How do we really change that though? So I know it's, it's coming and we are working around the clock and you are so passionate about everything that you do. 
how do we actually get that one less than 1% up to where it needs to be? Do we even know where it needs to be yet? I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know if I know what the exact number or figure would be, but I think we just continued what we've been doing. And and we've I have seen anyway, I have seen change happening. And what what I see now is younger people, but I also see a lot of people in, you know, the Facebook groups that I'm part of who may have a light bulb moment. They learn something and they now have information to share with a friend or to take to their care provider. So then the piece there that I want to emphasize is the care providers because the allopathic medical community is missing a lot of information, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. about how to best provide the information and the care as it pertains to women's pelvic health. I think the more people who speak to their care providers and bring them resources like research papers, like books, like webinar, like whatever, podcasts like this, that's how, that's how change will happen. And that's how more eyes will be opened. And then especially the medical providers are, those are the ones who some of them are involved with research. That's where the research happens. So if we can influence that population, then they can maybe have some light bulb moments or, or curiosities about maybe we should research that maybe, Hey, I know somebody who does some research. Why don't we this? So it's going to take a while, but I think the the ball's rolling. At least it, we're moving in the right direction. And yes. I'm, I'm happy with time as long as it's it will happen, which I do think that it will. With the continual momentum, for sure. Yes. We interviewed a women's pelvic health physio from Australia just yesterday who shared with us that during her whole postgraduate university degree, there was maybe one, a couple of hours, a section on women's pelvic floor physiotherapy. And then to be able to be qualified to do what she's doing now, she had to go and do a postgraduate study Yeah, because it's so complex and it's so detailed, but yet we're missing it from the fundamentals of physiotherapy. And yeah. fitness. Yeah. Yes, actually. Yes. Last season, we spoke to a lady called Nish Wright, who she is advocating for women's health literacy because she was a trainer in this fitness space. And she said, I would have a 23-year-old male who was super buff, could do all these women's classes and, you know, show them how to really push themselves, but had zero understanding of the pelvic floor. Yeah. Postnatal mums doing kettlebells, you know, before six weeks or after six weeks without even assessing them as individuals, just saying, well, you want to bounce back, lady, you go and run. And that's where she's like, well, we need to tackle how we're training our trainers. Exactly. Exactly. My former business partners from Belly Zinc, one of which was a pelvic floor physical therapist. And the, the three of us, when we were working together, initially we came together to design a post postpartum recovery wrap. So taking inspiration from many cultures around the world that use wrapping yes. and combining with exercise. That's what we were set out to do. And along the way, we had one of my partners, the other one, she was a trainer and she had a a team of trainers that worked for her. And all of them were coming to us saying, how do I learn what you guys are doing? How do I know about diastasis? How do I know about pelvic floor? And we said, you know what, let's create a course because this is, this is so missing in education. We, we go to personal training courses. We become certified. We know all the muscles in the body except the pelvic floor. And that arguably I think is one of the most important groups of muscles in the body. And Your, your example of the male trainer, it's equally the same with female trainers. It, again, it's just because 
none of us, even the, those of us that have vaginas and vulvas and born with a uterus, we still don't know. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. So we created a certification to, to meet that need because Julia, the, the physio was also saying she felt she would work with these people. And then she was a little hesitant to send them back out because they were working with trainers or attending fitness classes where the, the instructors weren't informed. And of course, people want to do what all the other people are doing in their class or in their personal training session. So what I've seen even evolve from that is there are now more trainers who are becoming certified and becoming aware of the lack of information. And there's also more participants who are aware and are seeking out trainers who who have the knowledge. So they know that they'll be exercising in a way that's appropriate for their body. Yeah. So it's not just one size fits most. It's because we're all of our vaginas are different. Our bodies are different. Our postnatal recovery, or even if you haven't had a baby yet, your body will manage your pelvic floor very differently. Do you know what I've found really surprising along this pelvic journey of my own is that you don't have to have had a baby or pregnancy to experience pelvic organ prolapse. And perhaps the fact that I was a competitive athlete prior to becoming pregnant it could have already had some pelvic floor dysfunction there Mm -hmm. so I think even before someone's considered becoming a mum like much younger we should really be starting the education here what do you think of the idea of us teaching girls about their pelvic floor and how it works around the same time we talk about period education a thousand percent agree. That's become one of my new kind of messages. And I know that the UK has, the NHS has proposed that pelvic health be taught in schools. And I could not agree more. So around that time, when I was watching this childbirth video, learning about periods, menstruation, sex, why was I not told about this incredibly important group of muscles? And the fact that I was born with a uterus, I'm a woman, I'm a girl, however I I identify, but if I have those parts that I will experience menstruation, I will go through hormone fluctuations. Chances are I will become pregnant at some point in my life. I will for sure 100% go through menopause, Mm -hmm. all of which are transitions that greatly influence the pelvic floor. And just like we learn around that same time that we should be brushing our teeth twice a day, flossing and going to see the dentist once or twice a year. We could be doing the same with our pelvic floor, exercise daily, see a pelvic floor physical therapist. Usually I say that part once we become sexually active, Yes. Um, see a pelvic floor physical therapist once a year and have a checkup. Go even if you have no symptoms, but especially if you do. I love that because a lot of women don't discover they've got a pelvic organ prolapse or pelvic floor dysfunction until they go for things like a pap smear and then the physician might say, oh, do you know you've got a prolapse? Because some people have symptoms and some do not. So tell us, look, I can picture in my head just this picture of you wearing these amazing skeleton tights (laughs) (laughs) and of a pelvis to really kind of highlight that it's okay to talk about Tell us a bit more about vagina coach and what that entails. I I combine fitness and sort of lifestyle education, I guess I would say with a a huge emphasis on the pelvic floor. And Mm. I think when we think about if we have been told anything about pelvic health along our journey, it's go home and do your Kegels. Kegels are a form of pelvic floor exercise and I, I do support them. We have literature to support that they, they do work, but that's not the only thing we can't just throw that at every single person who has something that's not feeling right with their pelvic floor. It does require a whole body approach 
there's nutrition, there's lifestyle, there's, you know, stress management, mm-hmm. movement, there's, there's fitness, which is part of our movement there. There's all sorts of things. There's behaviors even. And so my role is as a personal trainer, I do focus on whole body movement. Uh, I'm actually doing a, a nutrition certification so I can provide more than just general guidelines with regards to, to eating, but also help people identify behaviors that could also be contributing to either an exacerbation of symptoms, whether it's incontinence or prolapse or pain, you know, whatever, whatever it exists. I try to be as much as I can a resource for people to ask questions, mm-hmm. become informed so they can then take those questions to care providers, or maybe what they learn is enough to help them self-manage yeah. Um, so that's what I do. And I have online programs. I do online coaching. I have an app. I've written some books. So just whatever, I'll do anything <laughs> to get the information out there. <laughs> Listen to you, Kim, just, oh, just this and just that. That is a whole amazing bucket of life work there. So you have published books. You have spoken many, many times. I've watched so many of your lives on Instagram. I always go away thinking, oh, I love that because I didn't think of that because we don't know what we don't know. But when you've had someone like you with so much experience, sharing that knowledge is so important. If someone who's listening right now is interested in working with you, do you do one-on-one or is it more of a group online? Yeah, I do one-on-one. I did try a group at one point and I actually liked the group, but not everybody was comfortable sharing so openly in a group of initially strangers. So I have a a Facebook group where people can come in and support one another that way. But in terms of training, I do that one-on-one. I I found that that it it served everybody better. That makes sense. I'm just thinking, because I know when my girlfriend tried to get me to use the EpiNo, are you still involved in that space as well? I know, unfortunately, it's one of my most favorite products. And I think the fact that you are in Australia and your listeners who are there, they have access to it and people who are in Europe still have access. In Canada, there was an initial regulatory process that you would go through to have a medical device licensed. Yes. At the start of 2019, they were implementing a new regulatory process and it was considered mandatory meaning it's something that other countries around the world do have, but Canada was the only one that was making it mandatory. What it meant was there was more steps, more hoops to jump through. It was a lot more costly. So a lot of smaller manufacturers who had been in Canada were looking at this saying, well, I can go through all these steps, but it's only going to license me for Canada, not for all these other countries in the Mm -hmm. world. And so it's not worth the time and the, the extra cost. So unfortunately, the manufacturers chose to remove the product from Canada. um, And that was, I I was the distributor for 14 years and it it was gut-wrenching to not have that available anymore because I feel so strongly about the, about the use of that product. Yeah. So unfortunately it's not here in Canada anymore. And I'm, I am still in touch with the manufacturers support and promote it all the time. If people are here in North America, I say, if you know somebody in Australia or Europe who can purchase it for you and send it to you, go do it that way. Similar with different types of pessaries that we can't get here. Right. Yes. Bring up our friends. Can you please send me this? The postage is astronomical, but worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find it interesting? I'm just thinking that When my girlfriend tried to get me to use that, I spoke with my midwife team and they said no. And I I probably didn't have enough self-advocacy at that point, being a first-time pregnant person to say, well, why? (laughs) Why why not? I just wanted to be, you know, a good patient. Oh, okay, sure. It wasn't recommended. So I didn't really bring it up. 
in your experience of, out of all of those years, do you think that has had its place and there, there might be some resistance for a particular reason? Yeah, there are some, and I would say this is in the medical community, it was because there was a lack of research in the midwifery community. They viewed it as an intervention. And so a lot of people would view it as, well, your body can do it on its own. You don't need this. And, and I agree to an extent. So yes, I believe that we, we can birth without intervention, that we, we are designed mm -hmm. to birth hundred percent agree with that. However, in our modern day world, we have other influences that can sometimes hinder some of those normal physiological birth steps. And what, what I love about the EpiNo is, first of all, it allows you to connect with the pelvic floor. So that could be somebody's first introduction. It goes way beyond just, am I doing Kegels correctly? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm doing them right. Should I be doing Kegels? So it, it allows a connection to happen. And when it comes time to giving birth, birth is, is an allowing. It's an elimination from the body. And we need the capacity to surrender in the presence of a lot of stuff that doesn't feel really good, stretch, pressure, discomfort, some pain maybe. And so the tendency for us is to, to withdraw. And if we already have been living a lifestyle where we have some stuck tension in our pelvic floor, which is becoming increasingly common, then I think that those two are kind of contributing factors to some maybe potentially more negative outcomes. So I think that it provides an opportunity for people to connect, to learn about the pelvic floor, to learn about contracting and relaxing, and to train the pelvic floor to become responsive in the presence of discomfort. So that's where I really feel like the strength lies. When I, when I looked at it, I, I thought of it as my main mission was to prevent tearing. Okay. And I looked at this and there was some research to compare, you know, users versus non had higher rates of intact perineum. And of course we can't guarantee that you're not going to tear nothing we can do, but, and there's so many factors that go into it, but I viewed it as something that I could do that would reduce my risk. And even compared to, to manual perineal massage, manual perineal massage can be effective, but it's difficult to do on your own. If your arms, it, anyway, so it was incredibly helpful for me. It gave me confidence. And I hear that from a lot of people that it, it made them feel more confident going into their birth. And when you have more confidence, you're usually more calm and your pelvic Relax. floor can then right, respond more. So to answer the question, it, it, there are some people that view it as not needed, that it's an intervention, that it means you don't trust your body. Mm -hmm. I, I view it as something that helps increase the trust in your body because you are connecting with a part of it that you've, you've, never, you've never had to before. It's it's a really good point. And I come from the experience of going to a women's health physiotherapist for biofeedback, just to see my level of lift. Yep. That was the first time I knew what a Kegel or a pelvic yep. floor lift even was because yep. we're taught and we kind of have this joking thing where you sit there and you kind of do these quick flicks and it's tensing your, your butt cheeks really. Yeah. And like, oh, that's not it. Oh, that's yeah. what I yeah, used to do. A lot of do. people are doing this, right? <laughs> Yep, exactly. Bouncing up and yeah. down. And it wasn't until that very moment where I had, and I could see on the screen, I'm like, I am lifting. She was like, there's nothing happening. You got to try and get that. Oh, that's what it is. So, I mean, retrospect is an amazing thing, but had I listened to my friend, I'm curious to know, would my experience not have been as traumatic? I don't know. The baby's posterior, you can't yep. ever know. Right you know, no matter what we do, unfortunately, I wish we had this magic one where they could x-ray through and see the baby's position and be able to work magic before then. But 
you know, I think we're yeah. a little ways away from that yet. Yeah. <laughs> if we are thinking about our future girls and I mean, you're already doing an amazing thing here. I have a six-year-old and I feel like I'm going to talk to her about all of this stuff in my mind. Mummy's going to share it all. There's going to be a point, Kim, when she's going to be a teenager and she'll say, mum, do not say vagina in front of me. It's too much. Yep. It's embarrassing. It's where else can they go for this type of stuff that doesn't feel like it's a mum mm -hmm. telling them what to do? Mm -hmm. Well, what will be interesting is because you've started talking about it now at six and you'll continue up to maybe it doesn't become one of those things that's uncomfortable. You know, so in my kids, they've, they've grown up seeing, you know, my vulva puppet everywhere and vulva jewelry and me using proper anatomical terms with social media. My son, my oldest son, who's now eight, almost 18, he did at one point say, please don't like my posts. Please don't comment on my posts on Instagram <laughs> because he was getting a little bit of teasing from some of the kids at school. So, it, so I said, fair enough, but at the same time that like you having a mom that does that you standing up for the fact that it's just part of anatomy is an important step uh -huh. for you for them for for your yeah. future kids yeah so it'll be interesting to see if your daughter gets to the point of it being uncomfortable it might still i don't know but at the same time i think it's just say I just want to make sure that you are informed and I'm here and I've, I've given you tools along the way. And I think more and more there will be, and I know that there's a, for instance, a, a young woman in the UK who she's early twenties right now. She's had prolapse for a number of years. She's never been pregnant, never given birth. Her handle is living with prolapse. Yeah. She's coming on the show. She's such a gem. Yes. Yes. There are a lot of people coming out and sharing their stories through social media, which our kids are growing up with. So I think the resource list that we can point them to, we might not even have to point them. They'll probably already have them. I'll be interested to see if your daughter does yeah. print. <laughs> and it took me a little while to connect the dots, but I realized why your son was getting teased it's because your handle is the vagina coach. And so yes. his friends were seeing the vagina coach, yes. right? Yes. yes, 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 exactly. So they're like, who are you following? My youngest son, he just turned 15 and he he hasn't ever said to me, please don't like, or don't comment or what have you. And, and I know that a few of his friends have ha like the girl friends have, have started following me, which, uh, which makes me happy because I think, that, yeah, like if they can take some of this information as they move through their, their first sexual experiences and, you know, getting into serious relationships, potentially having babies down the road, then I think they'll be, hopefully they'll be more armed with information and, and know how to advocate for themselves. That's so good. So what's, what's coming up next for the vagina coach with all of those amazing things you've already done, you seem, you strike me as the person that will always have something else to work on. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Part of, sometimes I'm like, okay, I just need to not do any, anything. <laughs> So last year was about developing my app and I developed a, a surgery support program. So having gone through surgery myself, it, I recognized how me being a very informed person, how much shame I felt, how, how difficult the decision was to make, how I had, I, I knew what to do, but how somebody who wasn't in my profession, how lost they would maybe feel through that process. So I created a, a course for that. And so my intention this, this year and kind of going forward, now that the world's opening up again to speak as much as I can and Perfect. start teaching my course 
my certification course again to get more it, it's been available online but people really like the the in-person yeah. so which I do too so I don't have any kind of new projects per se I just kind of want to get continue. continue to get the information out there and do as much speaking as I can and I feel like you know a reflection on me as a bad host I've missed the part about prolapse for yourself so as the vagina coach have you yourself have lived experience with pelvic organ prolapse too Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had, I, I've experienced, if I look back on it at the time, I remember being in, a, in an exercise class, this is not long after my second child was born. And I experienced that like, oh my gosh, I'm just, I'm going to leak. I can't do this exercise anymore. So I experienced that. Yeah. I experienced also where I had a com- complete, like my bladder was fine and I got stood up and I was walking back to my, we were on a, on a vacation and I'd been sitting by the pool, drinking water, drinking water, drinking water, drinking water, yeah. hadn't gone to the bathroom. And then as I got close to my, to our, to our room, all of a sudden my bladder was like, woohoo. And it just like, I had a full complete release of my bladder. And I was like, Oh yeah. And this was very early. Like I had just kind of started my business. I, I really didn't know a lot yet. I didn't know about pelvic floor physical therapy yet. Anyway. So I was able to overcome those once I started learning about pelvic floor physio and exercise, and then I can't remember exactly how many years later, but, uh, I, one of my physio appointments, I, my physio said I had an early stage rectocele and I had been starting to experience constipation. So this is kind of now nearing when I was in my forties. So starting to go through perimenopause, long story short, I ended up finding out I had an autoimmune condition that was contributing to constipation. So I had this out of nowhere, I had never experienced constipation before. And I couldn't figure out after doing all this, all the things you're supposed to for gut health and all this, I was still experiencing constipation, which was then exacerbating the rectocele and also contributed to the development of a stage two uterine prolapse, which I had zero symptoms of. And it was one day, you know, TMI, I was having sex with my husband and all of a sudden it felt like he, he hit something and it was kind of like, Ooh, like it just, it hurt. And, mm-hmm. you know, I said, did you feel that? And he said, yeah, I feel like I hit something. I said, yeah, I feel like you hit something too. And then I went to my physio and she's like, yep, your uterus has moved South. And I was like, Oh, again, I was dealing with this constipation at the time. I also didn't know hypopressives. So hypopressives is something that is a big part of my life. Now, not long after that, I learned hypopressives and it helped me manage and reverse my uterine prolapse too. Yep. Um, but then it became like nine ish years of managing this rectocele that I could not improve. I figured out I have autoimmunity fixed, you know, all of that and got that into remission, did all the things I was already doing all the pelvic health stuff, all the hyper and nothing was changing. It started to become really bothersome. It was interfering with the quality of my life. And I considered it for about four years, went back and forth. I had surgery scheduled twice, canceled twice. And then in the end, I said, I'm, in, I'm going into this fully informed. This is the best decision for me. I have tried all the things yeah. and recognize that surgery can be a great option for people, but a lot of people are presented as that's the only option. And they also maybe go down that path without the information of prehab, rehab, ongoing care. Um, what, you, so, what you did through all those years. Right, exactly. So Pessaries, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So it just became another thing that I was really nervous to share, to be honest, because here I was, you know, I'm, I'm the vagina coach and I'm supposed to help people (laughs) avoid surgery and do all these things. But through the process, I said, 
I also need to support people through the decision to have surgery because many people are choosing that and I want them to feel supported and I don't want them to feel shame. And I want them to have all the information they need to, first of all, make the decision to have surgery, but also to make sure they're preparing for and recovering from it most optimally. And Mm. um, yeah, so. Actually, I think it's even more brave of you. I think if someone's a vagina coach, it makes you more qualified to talk about prolapse and surgery if you've had it. So, you know, and like you said, I can totally understand why you canceled it twice. I don't know, but if you um, are heavily into the prolapse spaces, but there's a lot of stories that are not successful. Yep. So women read them over and over and they become scared. Like they don't yep. want to be part of that statistics because quite often women who have successful surgery, they say, thank you for the support. I'm out of the group. I don't need to be here anymore. Exactly. Yeah. And and my my reasons for canceling I would say that played in a little bit, but it mm-hmm. was also that um, I knew because when I first scheduled it, I still did not know about my autoimmune condition oh. and I was still struggling with constipation. So I knew that constipation was a huge uh, challenge or problem for pelvic floor for dysfunction. So I said, I can't go into surgery knowing I have not addressed this. I still don't know why I have this. Mm. And the other was heavy bleeding. So part of also another symptom that I had with this whole undiagnosed autoimmunity was murder scene periods. I knew that, you know, if if I scheduled a surgery, what happens if on that day, my uterus is like the floodgates are open or what happens, you know, what if it's in my recovery? (laughs) So I knew I needed to get those fully addressed before I could go forward. That's, that's the, the internet, as much as those support groups are, are there for reason and can provide amazing resources for people they can also be very scary and um and i think a big reason why there is failures and recurrence rates is because people don't address the root cause they haven't addressed constipation they haven't addressed they haven't done all of the things they aren't also well versed in the recovery and the return to fitness afterwards so i think when we have more of that happening i think mm-hmm. we will see that there will be better outcomes that makes sense we have had women in our support group that say their surgeon has said they can return to work within 4 weeks 6 weeks back at heavy lifting nursing it's just so many red flags that they are not informed like you said so i feel like there's a there's a quite a few different pieces to the puzzle there isn't there Right. Yeah, absolutely. It is a lot. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of, there's a lot that people don't even know they don't know. So they don't know to ask. They don't, Mm. you know, and, and what's provided like that the medical doctors are so amazing at their surgery, at the the procedure and the medication piece, their expertise doesn't lie in the function and the, the kind of prehab rehab. And it doesn't have to be. I just want to see more collaboration between the medical providers and the physical therapists and the trainers so that the patients ultimately have their village, their healthcare team that will help them through the process. I think that would probably take away a lot of fear for women considering surgery if they know that space is going to be held for them pre-surgery, surgery and post-surgery rather than just going in blind. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I haven't had the the option or opportunity to have surgery because here in Australia, they don't have surgery for bilateral avulsions, levator ani avulsions. It could be coming somewhere around the world. We keep looking, keep searching. No one's, yep. <laughs> no stone unturned, but I'm scared. I'm scared 
to, to you know have a full hysterectomy and be in full menopause um, because that's what I've been told this is the thing Kim you go to one surgeon and they say one thing and you go to the next surgeon and they say something slightly different and you're like hmm yeah how how can I decide like so how did you decide on the surgeon that you uh, ultimately went with mm-hmm there, first of all, I asked my physiotherapist um, because she collaborates with them and she also sees a lot of people post-op. So I, you know, who, who does the best work, so to speak? Yeah, and, totally. Um, yeah. So she gave me a list of kind of what her top three would be. And one of which I would consider a friend of mine. Actually, I know him well. And, and, and the only reason I didn't choose him was his wait list was significantly longer. The other person who I ultimately went with, his name's Dr. Wilkie. And he, he had a shorter wait time to get in initially. And because my initial experience with him was so positive, I felt, I felt very supported and very comfortable with him right from the start. I, I, I didn't have to go and sought another opinion, but I, I really felt confident okay. and I knew he'd been doing it for years. I, I knew other people who'd had surgery with him. My mm-hmm. mother-in-law actually had surgery with him. That's yeah, that's how I made the choice. And I love how you say that you you make the best decision and you do the best you can with the information you have at the time. So you've done right. all the research and you don't second guess yourself. Like, no, I've done what I need to do. I've tried everything up until now and now it's time. Having that level of confidence takes time, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I experienced a lot of angst in, the, in those four years where I would make the decision and then I just... It, it never felt, I never felt settled with it. So I'd be like, no, it's not right. I'd cancel it. And the third time was the final time I had addressed the constipation. I addressed the heavy bleeding. I was in, I was in a better state mentally, physically, all sorts of things. And as soon as I made that decision, it was like any anxiety I had had was, was gone. And I kept thinking, I kept waiting for it. Like as the surgery date approached, I kept <laughs> waiting for me to become more anxious. And it never came because I just, I felt so confident and secure in my knowledge and the work that I had done in my surgeon. And I think that's an important step too, because a lot of people are going into this, their nervous system is so ramped up. And I think that, you know, that's not helpful getting to the point where we can be very, very comfortable, very confident in our decision. And that allows that calm to, to happen and trust, trust in our body, trust in our care providers. And I think that goes a long way to helping us too. Definitely. And I feel like potentially, I don't know if anyone else is doing this, but you might know. I don't know if there's anyone who has a course to prepare for surgery and post-surgery. Is your app the only one doing it, right? Yeah. So to my knowledge, there's another course, the pop-up lift gals, Mm -hmm. they do have a section in one of their courses about surgery. It's not an entire course about surgeries. So as far as I know, I'm the only, I'm the only one right now that's amazing that that's so good so forward thinking and how can people access that if they were interested in having a look like do you have a little trial where they can have a look what's inside to see if it's for them i did a trial of it leading up to december january was kind of like the the official unveiling but i never really made it official because i'm doing a webinar and and i'm not sure when this podcast will come out but if if it's before march 9th there is a free webinar on that day. If it's not, if you are listening to this after the fact, I will send you the link of, cause it will be a recorded webinar that people can then join at any time. Perfect. So that way people can, can get a taste of the information that I cover yes. and, and learn from me. Cause yeah, I think it's important to trust the, 
the provider as well. When you're looking through a course, I'll make sure that I send that information to you when the, when the signup page is live and, and that'll do. give people an opportunity to check it out. Yeah, we'll definitely, we'll be launching season two after May. So if I can have the link to the webinar, I'll pop yep. it in the show notes. People can have a look just before we let you go. Cause I know you're extremely busy today. Is there one piece of advice that you would impart to our community right now about their vagina and pelvic health? The one piece that I always say ad nauseum, I should wear a t-shirt about it is, <laughs> is the pelvic floor physical therapy piece. If there's one thing that I think that we can do for ourselves and also the next generation is to get to the point where pelvic health physical therapy is part of annual health management. And we go, even if we have no symptoms, but especially if we do. So that, that I would say is my number one. Um, then I would say that it is important to do pelvic floor, some sort of pelvic floor connection whether it's relaxing, whether it's activating, whether it's whole body integration every single day. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for all you do. I know everyone listening right now will be going, thank goodness we have this amazing woman in our life. <laughs> well, likewise, the, the community you've built is amazing and, and I'm really honored to, to share information. So thank you for the work that you do as well. And I appreciate you having me. Thank goodness for women like Kim and Sherry in this pelvic health space, because you might not know this, but quite often when people start in an advocacy role, it is volunteering. So people take their own time and resources and energy to be able to bring you, the listener right now, something of value. I know that Sherry is one of those who are still volunteering her time and time again. So if you are finding things that either of these women are doing helpful, I'm going to suggest something to you. If say, for example, you're in the free Facebook APOPS support group, and you are getting so much value out of that. As a woman who is now in this space, I know it can be really, really helpful when there's an exchange of energy or something in return. That doesn't always mean money, okay? What I mean is for you to spend 10 minutes and write a thank you message and send it to people like Kim at The Vagina Coach or Sherry Palm at APOPS and say, thank you for helping me today. I didn't know XYZ. I wasn't aware of this until I read your blog. Whatever it is, simply by sending a thank you and an appreciation message is helpful. And I can tell you that I can promise when I see messages come up on the Brave Mama Instagram page in the, the DMs or the direct messages that say things like, thank you so much for this podcast or thank you so much for this information because I've been searching by myself for you know 12 months. I've always felt alone. No one in my mother's group you understands what I'm talking about. And so I feel like it's just my problem. When we read messages like this, it lights us up because we know the reason why we're doing this is to help you. When that is cemented with messages like that, I can't tell you just how powerful it is. So if there's one thing you can do today is go and show someone in this pelvic health space a little love and a little appreciation for everything they do and everything that they give. And just as a reminder before we go, if you were thinking about trying the Modi Body Ultra range, 
Yes, you can use the 15% off code, that's great. But maybe what you didn't know is that Modibody have a 60 day free trial. If you wanted to order them, try them for yourself. If they don't work, you can actually send them back, no questions asked. I don't know anyone else who's doing that in this space. I also don't know anyone who has incontinence underpants that hold 250 mils of liquid. And thankfully, they are really pushing those limits and boundaries for us in this pelvic health and incontinence space. So until next time, bye for now. Babe, my-